0: talk line network radio america's longest running jewish broadcast network the voice of the jewish community welcome to the podcast and now you're listening to talk line with zev brenner america's premier jewish broadcast on the air since 1981 and now here's your host You're listening to Talk Line with Zev Brenner, America's premier Jewish broadcast on the air since 1981. And now, here's your host. Welcome back to the program, Mom Zev Brenner. Always a treat, always a privilege to have Harvard Law Professor Emeritus Professor Alan Avi Dershowitz. So good to see you again and good to see you again on Shabbos at the Parke Synagogue.
1: Yeah, it was very nice. The Khazan was terrific. Your wife was fantastic. She made it's just wonderful Tvar Torah, and it made me confirm my own belief that we need women uh, in every phase of uh, Jewish
0: life. I agree with you, so thank you. So you mentioned women in every phase of Jewish life, and there's a whole big thing now with women and what's going on. I want to reflect that the new... Person in charge in Washington DC to be the press secretary is somebody by the name of Karine Jean Pierre who is anti APAC. She says APAC is racist and she's against Israel. What's going on? We're seeing anti Semitism growing and you've written books and you're always out there and I compliment you for it. You're being a staunch defender of the Jewish people, but it seems like we're fighting a battle on every front. I'll start first in Washington with the new press secretary.
1: What we're seeing is the normalization of anti-Semitism uh, as anti-Zionism. Uh, Anti-Zionism is just the old anti-Semitism in new bottles, and people are falling for it. If this woman uh, had said, express things about Jews as she said about Zionism or about Israel, nobody would seriously consider her for the job. But uh, because her her bigoted actions have been limited to anti-Zionism, she's acceptable. She's not acceptable. Uh, The spokesperson for the president of the United States should not have views of the kind that uh, she has expressed. It's a serious mistake, and it's what's causing many of us lifelong Democrats to reconsider our allegiance to the Democratic uh, Party. You know, I wrote a book in which the subtitle was Why I Left the Left But Couldn't Join the Right you know, I support a woman's right to have an abortion. I support gay marriage. I support reasonable gun control. I support separation of church and state. I support many of the uh, things on the classic liberal agenda, but I can't support the squad. I can't support Elizabeth Warren. I can't support Bernie Sanders. And I can't support this woman who is now uh, the spokesperson for the president of the United States. So You know, I feel politically homeless. I feel at home on your station, but uh, I don't feel politically that I have a home either in the newly emerging Democratic Party or the Republican Party. Look, President Biden today in a speech said to the Republican young people, this is not your father's Republican Party. And he's right, but he should have said, and this is not your father's Democratic Party. This is not the Democratic Party my parents voted for, my grandparents voted for. I voted for for 50 or more years. This is changing. And we're seeing a radicalization of America. We're seeing the Harvard Crimson, which in 1935 endorsed giving an honorary degree to the spokesperson for Hitler's Nazi party, has now endorsed Hamas essentially, the end of Israel. And we're not hearing very much. Yeah, we have 70 Harvard professors protesting out of what, 1,000? And I know a lot of Harvard professors who, in their heart, deep in their heart, are upset at what the Crimson did, but they don't have the guts, the courage, the chutzpah to stand up. Uh, you know, the Talmud talks about chutzpah kala'apeh when it talks about Abraham arguing with Hashem over the sinners of Saddam. And what we need is chutzpah We need We need to stand up for our rights. Uh, another thing that I picked up in Shul, I love to go to Shul, because I pick up so many uh, issues. So on the Friday night service, which I went to, I remember there was one blessing where we thank God for giving us uh, dot and bina, and then we also say Hashem Ozliam Oyutain, Hashem Yivarechetam But we never combined the two. For two thousand years, we had dot and bina. Uh, we produced Einstein. We produced Kafka. We produced Mala. We produced some of the greatest brains in the world. We, used we produced da- Alan Dershowitz. No, no, but oh, we, we, can, we
0: can include you in that.
1: No, no, but we didn't use it to produce O's. It took the Israeli government, it took the creation of Israel for the first time in modern Jewish history, to turn dot and bina into O's, and that is the key to Jewish survival. We can't just use dot and bina to study, as important as that is, to develop theories. Very important. We have to do it for cyber technology and we have to do it to strengthen Israel and to strengthen the Jewish people. And we have to never forget what it says in the prayer. We're not going to get peace, shalom, unless we first get us, unless we first get strength. And that's what we need to get.
0: You sound like a speech that Mayor Kahana gave a while back.
1: Well, Mayor Kahana asked a lot of the right questions. Um, he gave a lot of the wrong answers. As you know, I defended Mayor Kahana. I've known Mayor Kahana since we we're. We both went to Town Medical Academy. We were both on the debating team at Town Medical Academy. The problem for me with uh, with Mark is that he did believe in killing innocent civilians. And he did believe that the uh, ends justify the means. Now, you know, sometimes they do. If we were living in Nazi Germany, yeah, the ends would justify the means. But I fundamentally disagreed with his policy of violent actions. But his questions were good ones. You know, we debated uh, three times Including Um,
0: on my show, by the way,
1: we debated on your show. We debated at Rabbi Weiss's synagogue and we debated once in, in Boston. It was a great honor and a privilege for me to debate him. I was the only, quote, established Jewish leader who was willing to debate him. Everybody else said, no, he's beyond the pale. And I never agreed with that. I thought he was worth debating and his questions were worth addressing.
0: I think we've gotten worse, though. We don't want people we don't agree with, we don't want to communicate with. It's been bad, but I think it's worse now. And I want you to comment on the Jewish Museum, Museum of Jewish Heritage, where they disinvited Ron DeSantis. Actually, they told Tyrko they can't come.
1: Before we get to that, let's talk about the Ramaz School in New York, the elite high school for Orthodox Jewish students. They have canceled me. They have disinvited me. They first asked me without any charge, without any fee, to talk to their students in the 11th and 12th grade about what they're going to confront in college was anti-Zionism. And I have to, to tell you, with all modesty, there is no person on the face of the planet Earth who's more qualified to talk about college anti-Semitism than I am. I have spoken in more colleges and universities, and the headmaster of the Ramah school called me and canceled me and said, sorry, a bunch of big machas in the school— uh, on the board, don't want you speaking. Temple Emmanuel canceled me. The 92nd Street why canceled me. You know, as Pogo said many years ago, the cartoon character, we have seen our enemy and he is us. And if any of you are active in uh, the Ramaz school, call them and ask them, why are you canceling Alan Dershowitz? Why are you not allowing him to prepare our students for a college? Why does Temple Emmanuel invite and pay $25,000 to Peter Beinhart who calls for the destruction of the state of Israel but refuses to have me debate uh, issues relating to Israel, to the pandemic, to the Bible. Uh, why does the 92nd Street, why, which has all sorts of anti-Israel people speaking, why have they refused to allow me to speak? That's the question. Unless we speak to the Jewish leaders, the fault is the machas, the Jewish leaders, the people who have it too good. They don't want to shake the word. And they are disserving, uh American Jews just the way Jewish leaders disserved American Jews in the 1930s and the 1940s because they didn't want to rock the boat. Felix Frankfurter did not want to upset Franklin Delano Roosevelt by telling him that Jews were being murdered in death camps. We can't have a repeat of that. And we're having a repeat of it right now.
0: In the Ramaz situation, did you reach out to Rabbi Haskell? Look, see, I know you have a long term relationship with him.
1: I did not. Uh, He doesn't have a a direct involvement in the Ramah school. It was the headmaster of the Ramah school. If Rabbi Luxin is listening, have him call me. I'm happy to talk to him. I do have a long term relationship with him, but I didn't want to bother him with something that's beyond his ken. It's the school, um, the high school that made this decision. And it's a it's an outrageous decision, a McCarthyite decision and a decision that hurts the Jewish community and hurts the students.
0: Now, I want to focus, and I agree with you, and I know maybe you were going to have a synagogue in Manhattan where you're going to put them on trial, Temple Emanuel, Ramaz, 92nd Street. Why?
1: If somebody invites me, I'm happy to do it, but the Jewish leaders don't want to shake the boat. They don't want to rock the boat. They have it too good. Their kids are getting into Harvard. The kids are getting into Yale. Yeah, they're turning into anti-Zionists, but they're getting into Harvard and Yale, and that's good enough for most Jewish parents.
0: Well, maybe the stress is too much on that, and there's not enough stress of Jewish kids going to Jewish education and Jewish leadership.
1: Well, but what kind of Jewish education are they getting if they're getting woke education even in some of the Jewish schools? And um, and uh, look at uh, some of the non-Jewish high schools now, Dalton. Uh, just was with people the other day who took their kids out of Dalton. Uh, they went to Dalton themselves, but they've taken their kids out because of the anti-Semitism and the wokeness and the anti And whites are all racists and, you know, you know, I don't have to go through the whole agenda. But uh, this wokeness is uh, at its core anti-Semitic.
0: Before I get to the Jewish Museum of Jewish Heritage, you mentioned education. You know, in New York, in New York State, there's a movement on the hand of officials to regulate yeshiva as far as what they teach, as far as secular studies are concerned. I'm curious to get your position about that. Should the state be telling yeshivas what they should or shouldn't be teaching?
1: I think up to a certain grade, uh, students have to learn mathematics, they have to learn science, they have to learn English, uh, and I think the state does have uh, not only a right but an obligation to make sure that every American but child... But can they say
0: to, you have to have two hours a day, three hours a day? Can they say that to schools?
1: Well, that may be too much, but the same thing is true of um, students from other uh, religions. And uh, they, they, yes, parents have the right to give their children religious education, but even homeschooling is regulated. If you homeschool your kids you have to give them a certain amount of uh, application to math and science. So I think if we have a reasonable approach to this, we can compromise. It's not the approach that says we're not going to teach our children anything. By the way, the kids who go to these yeshibo do quite well on competitive exams. So uh, the empirical data doesn't really support what the state is necessarily doing. But in principle, the state does have the power to tell parents that they must expose their children to a certain amount of secular education but by how much the way, they,
0: how much is can, can they tell you to do
1: then it's a different issue
0: i'm sorry what is a different issue
1: if they become if the secular education whether in public schools or elsewhere becomes woke and biased and anti-white and anti-jewish that's different the state has no right but that's where
0: the concern is. The concern is a slippery slope. Once you open the door where they come and say, You got to get two hours, in six months from now, you can say, You got to teach critical race theory, you got to teach gender well, identity, et cetera. That's where there's a concern, and it's legitimate concern, I think.
1: Legitimate concern. But right now, all they're doing is telling the Jewish schools that they can have their Jewish teachers, their rabbis, um, teach math in a way that doesn't have critical legal, whatever studies, critical racial studies. But you have to worry about that. If you give the state the power to do one thing, it could morph into the power to do something a lot more dangerous. Let's keep our eye on it.
0: We're speaking okay,
1: about the Jewish Museum. I know DeSantis. I had dinner uh, with him when he was first elected a governor. He's a decent man. I disagree with him politically. It's outrageous that the Jewish Heritage Museum would deny him the right to speak while giving the right to horrible people, anti-Israel people, the right to speak. Like AOC. Shooting themselves in the foot. And I like the museum. I like the restaurant in the museum. I go to plays there. I've gone to the museum repeatedly. I'm not going to go to that museum if they're uh, refusing to allow DeSantis or other people who support Israel to uh, partake of their platform. I, that's just wrong.
0: We're speaking with Harvard Law Professor Emeritus. Uh, the one and only Alan Avi Dir- Professor Alan Avi we're looking at some important issues affecting the Jewish community. You know, there's a wokeness that's affecting the Jewish community, Professor Dershwitz, and you mentioned some schools on the 92nd Street. Why? But even the ADL, which monitors anti-Semitism, They do a good job, and anti-Semitism is unfortunately on the rise. But in their report, they talk about anti-Semitism in New York and Brooklyn being the capital, and they blame white nationalists as opposed to what it really is. I hate to say it, but the truth is, in Brooklyn, it's mostly blacks that are attacking Jews. But yet, in order to be politically correct, they keep talking about white nationalists. What's going on?
1: Absolutely right. We have to talk about all sides of the anti-Semitic spectrum, racial sides, uh, religious sides. Remember when uh, when we were growing up. I'm older than you are, but when we were growing up, there was an enormous amount of Catholic anti-Semitism that has, thankfully, dissipated with the 1964. You know, uh, various st- changes in the in the in the views of the Catholic Church. And now the Catholic Church is generally quite supportive. Um, many Catholic Americans are among Israel's uh, strongest supporters. But you know, we grew up at a time when uh, anti-Semitism came from the religious right, from Father Coughlin, from other things. But it's changed. It's now coming from the hard left. And some of the worst anti-Semites in the world are Jews. Uh, Norman Finkelstein, uh, Gilad Atzmone, the anti-Zionists on the hard left, including organizations, um, uh, Jewish organizations, the Jewish Voice for Peace, which isn't Jewish. Uh, Fortunately, it doesn't have much of a voice, and it doesn't favor peace. But the Jewish voice for peace is one of the most anti-Semitic groups in the world today. And we have to look inwardly, too. Just because you have the name Jewish or your name is Peter Beinhart doesn't mean you're not an anti-Semite. Peter Beinhart wants to see the end of the nation state of the Jewish people in Israel. That's anti-Semitism. As Larry Summers once said, maybe not in intent, but in effect. Uh, Summers, by the way, said that the Crimson editorial is anti-Semitic both in intent and in effect, which is why I'm fighting it so strongly.
0: What can we do to fight this whole new surge of anti-Semitism, including the Crimson, where they supported BDS and Palestinians and attacked Israel and basically attacking Jews and was getting it from all corners, from the press secretary of the White House, Brooklyn. You, you, I know you and I spoke off there about New Jersey, a whole pan of anti-Semitism. It surrounds us all. What can we do?
1: Get rid of the current Jewish leaders. <laughs> who, the current Jewish leaders are cowards, uh, you know, anti-Semitism is largely a function of cowardice today. People's unwillingness to speak out because they have it too good. They are too much a part of the establishment. They're making money. They're sending their kids to excellent schools. They're living in great neighborhoods. They're doing phenomenally well. So why sh- why rock the boat? And it's the Jewish leaders. You think the members of the congregations of Temple Emanuel wanted to cancel me? Of course not. They they came, 1,600 people would come hear me speak. It's four or five machas from the organization. The chairman of the board, who himself was an ad agent for Big Pharma and other horrible groups, uh, he was the one who engineered it. Uh, the former head of uh, CNN is on the board of the 92nd Street uh, Y, the man who himself was dismissed because he had an affair uh, with a the subordinate. These are the people who run the 92nd Street Y the Temple Emmanuel, the Ramaz school, and we've got to get rid of them. We've got to get rid of that leadership. We have to have a more courageous leadership. We have to remember pleish, klak, We have to remember that it takes a, a willingness to speak out at a time of great danger, and we live at a time of great danger, and we lack the Jewish leaders today to stand up to that. You know, we lost Eli Wiesel. He was a great voice willingness to speak truth to power today the jewish leaders are not willing to speak truth to power they only want to increase their own power um the people and you know look the rabbi of temple emmanuel he's a nice guy he's a decent guy he doesn't want to cancel me but he's afraid he's going to get fired if he takes on the rich members of the board the machas the ones who are making the fortune of money they're the ones who are creating this problem It's exactly the same thing that happened in 1942 and 43, when the established Jews wouldn't listen to Peter Berkowitz, wouldn't listen to the voices that were speaking out, wouldn't listen to even non-Jewish voices, because they had it too good. They had their man as president. Franklin Delano Roosevelt, they thought, was good for the Jews, and he was good for the American Jews. He just wasn't good for European Jews.
0: Well, it sounds like we need to do a lot more than just change leadership. I'm, I'm, let me look at, for example, Lufthansa Airlines. A group of Orthodox Jews was supposed to go from Germany to Hungary, and because some of the group didn't wear masks, they said, all you Jews are not really going to be able to fly They apologize without using the word Jews. Should we be boycotting? Because I I remember I was on Channel 13. I went to meet with Donald Sussman, the vice president, years ago. He had a meeting of Jewish media and Jewish leaders, and he said, you guys are too nice. Because, you know, other groups, when we write something or show something against a group, there's demonstrations. We say we never give, and we do. You guys are too nice. So the question, I'll be too nice. We
1: are too nice. But the answer isn't boycotts. The answer is suing. I try to start a new campaign. Um, I actually held a press conference, and nobody picked it up. Uh, my, my slogan was, hit a Jew, we sue you. And the, the very notion is, if you attack a Jew in Brooklyn, I don't care what your race is, I don't care if you're a white nationalist, a black nationalist, or anybody else, you hit a Jew, and I'm going to represent the victim pro bono and bankrupt you and make sure you never, ever earn another nickel in your life because we're going to get a judgment against you for $250,000 And you're going to have to spend the rest of your life paying off that judgment. And that's the way to stop Jews getting hit. We're not going to count on people getting arrested because the police don't arrest them. But when you bring a lawsuit, if you get 10 good lawyers together with few investigators, former policemen, former assistant DAs, and you track down everybody who's ever hit a Jew, who's ever attacked a Jew, you don't need the government for that. You bring your own lawsuit. It's a civil suit. You win the lawsuit in front of a jury, and you get a judgment for a quarter of a million dollars, and the person has to spend the rest of his life paying that off. That message is going to be sent around Brooklyn, again, Queens, again, around Manhattan, and people are going to think twice before they hit a Jew.
0: So, do we have lawyers aside from yourself that are committed, that are willing to do do that what you're recommending?
1: You want to hear the first lawyer who agreed to do this?
0: Who Arthur
1: I. Dollar, a non-Jewish italian-american said wow. what a great idea alan i'm in with you i'm gonna join you we'll sue we need some jewish lawyers too we need ju- lawyers of every faith to come and say you hit a jew we sue you, you
0: every know, we're Jew we, at- every jew said we sue you it sounds like a good slogan
1: <laughs> we're pretty good at suing um and 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 uh, you know we're maybe better at suing than boycotting because all you need is one person to sue to have a boycott you need a lot of people it's much easier for a large group in the population to bring a, a, a boycott than it is for a relatively small number of Jews boycotting a, a German airline. How many Jews fly on the German airline? Maybe we should do that, too. But I think using the legal system to satisfy our demand for justice and deterrence is is effective as
0: well. So you're saying we should be suing Lufthansa?
1: Yeah. Any Any time a Jew is discriminated against, there should be a lawsuit and we should be setting up a Jewish organization. I'd be happy to be an honorary co-chairman of the organization. I'm a little too old to be in court every day. I'm, you know, almost 84 now. Uh, But my pro bono support to that uh, Jewish organization, if you mess with Jews, you get sued and we win. And we bankrupt you. And that's our answer to anti-Jewish uh, bigotry. Now, you can't sue the Crimson, obviously. Uh, but if anybody discriminates against a Jew, and by the way, BDS is discrimination. It's discrimination based on national origin, it's discrimination based on religion, based on ethnicity. So we can win BDS lawsuits. We can't win lawsuits against newspapers. But we pick our targets carefully.
0: Our guest is Harvard Law Professor Emeritus Professor Alan Avi Dershowitz, looking at some very important issues of the day. I mis-
1: you Want more of this? Uh, you know, tune into my podcast. I have a podcast on um, every day at uh, five thirty. It's on Rumble and on YouTube. Three days a week, it's live, and the rest of the time, you can get it uh, on on the websites. Just. Just Google uh, the Der show and you'll be able to get it. And you'll agree with some of the things I say and disagree with other things. But that's what uh, debate is supposed to be like in America. are people so- to
0: tune into it and hopefully we'll carry that very soon in our VIP station. I'd be remiss if I didn't ask about Roe v. Wade. There's a whole controversy with the fact that it was leaked, what it means. It gives the Democrats a chance to get back. I think it helps them out politically. But your opinions about what the leaking of Supreme Court justices' deliberations.
1: Oh, it's terrible. When I was a law clerk on the Supreme Court, we were deciding some of the most important civil rights cases of the century. During the year, I was clerking with Justice Goldberg. No law clerk would ever a dream. We... We wouldn't tell our wives, our brothers, our children. It was the most sacrosanct thing. It was like a confession to a priest or a rabbi or a lawyer. You just don't go around leaking Supreme Court decisions. Now, this was somebody who did it purposely to achieve a goal. We're not sure what the goal was, but to change the status quo somehow. And I think Roe v. Wade will be overruled. I don't think it should be overruled. This case does not present the issue of should Roe versus Wade be overruled. It only presents the issue of whether to restrict abortion to 15 weeks. Um, that's all the court should be deciding, not whether or not you can never have an abortion. But this is an activist court, which is reaching out to decide an issue which is not necessarily before. it. So I hope it doesn't overrule Roe v. Wade, but it probably will.
0: But what does that mean exactly? Because states such as New York, New Jersey will still go ahead with business as usual Only certain states that will ban abortion completely, but not places like New York. That's right.
1: Now, there is a movement, but it will fail, a movement afoot to say that uh, no state should have the power to allow abortions because abortions are murder, abortions are killing babies and the right to life in the Constitution. Uh, I don't think the court would ever go that far. And Justice Alito, who I know is a really, really nice man, um, uh, has said in this draft opinion that it only involves abortion. It doesn't involve gay marriage, it doesn't involve um, interracial marriage, it doesn't involve. Uh, conception, uh, birth control, it doesn't involve other things. But, you know, we have to wait and see. But I think it's
0: it's being distorted because they're just like the what they call the gay law, uh, don't tell gay in Florida. It's being distorted. I can understand where people are coming from on all sides of the issues, but it's not banning it across the United States. Here in New York, here elected officials saying it's going to affect every woman in the country. They're just perfectly distorting that. We're in an age of misinformation and distortion, which I find frightening.
1: Everything is being distorted. Even this new Bureau of Disinformation that uh, that term- <laughs> is called Disinformation Governance Board. Even that is being subject to disinformation. It is not uh, a big brother group that's going to sit and decide what people can say. Uh, when I was growing up, we had uh, jokes and we called it the Department of Redundancy <laughs> Department. Uh, now we have the disinformation governance board but there is so much disinformation out there but that's for the people to decide let the people make up their own minds the only area the government should be involved in disinformation is medical issues that are dangerous to life the government has the right to tell you not to use certain drugs pharmaceuticals the government has the right to tell you that smoking cigarettes causes cancer those kinds of things the government has an appropriate role to play in But to tell you who to vote for, to tell you what's true politically, to tell you what's right about Israel, no, the government shouldn't be playing any. So how
0: do we get back on track because we're so off track? Is there any hope that things are going to change?
1: Well, there are two ways that things can change. One, they get too far in one direction and the pendulum swings. I don't think I'll live long enough to see that. I want to see change now. And I think what we need is to organize around this. We have to organize in the Jewish community to replace our uh, uh, cowardly leaders with leaders with a little bit of courage and guts and people who are prepared to um, put, uh, uh, put their own careers on the line. And we ought to stop putting rich people in charge of the Jewish community because they have too much to lose. You know, today, the Jewish leadership tend to be very wealthy people. Some of them are fantastic. You get a guy like, uh, uh, oh, there are so many, I don't want to get into them. But there are so many Jewish leaders who are extremely wealthy who stand up for the Jewish community, uh, but not everybody. And we have to make sure that uh, the Jewish leadership always puts the interests of the Jewish people first. Kalali Israel, the average Jewish person not just the person who wants to get his kid into Harvard.
0: Are you ready to take on the role of a leadership of a Jewish organization?
1: Oh, no, I'm too old for that. No, not Moses started at 80. I know. (laughs) Well, I'm 84. I got him beat by four (laughs) years almost. Well,
0: Aaron, his brother was 83. (laughs) An
1: advisory role, a consulting role, an honorary role. I'm prepared to take on a major role, but not a day-to-day leadership role. You know, I was offered the opportunity to do that several times in my career and never thought of myself as an organization person but now i think it's very important for these jewish organizations to turn over and 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 to become much more aggressive and to use not only their dot and vina but their o's their strength and uh, that's what I want to see happen in the next years.
0: You've been consistent, and we have a few moments left. You, have, But a lot of people have shunned you because of the fact that you represent Donald Trump and they feel you've abandoned you know, the left or the Democrats. Are things moving Are people starting to come back, or are you still seeing the polarization in your friendships, including in Martha's Vineyard?
1: Well, I don't care about Martha's Vineyard. I do care about the 92nd Street Y and Temple Emanuel and the Ramah School. And I've just written a book about that called The Price of Principle in which I tell the stories of the 92nd Street Y and Temple Emanuel and, and the Ramah School. And I name names and I point fingers. And um, I tell what happens in America today if you put principle before partisanship. And uh, it's a real problem. So the book will be out in about a month. It's called The Price of Principle. And you can watch my, you know, um, or listen and watch my podcast and uh, and listen to me on Zeb Brenner show. I love coming on here, and I love that you call me Avi. I was called Avi for the first twenty years of my life until my mother said, "You know, you're going to law school. You need a real name." So I became well, Avi. Well, Eric
0: Helmick, you say he's Avi. He doesn't want to call you Alan. He calls you Avi. So one of your biggest fans. It was,
1: uh, you know, when when I was Avi, we were in high school together, and uh, you know, he's a great guy.
0: That's quite Any reunions p- planning for your BTA class? So or-
1: See a BTA reunion. I'd love to see a Camp Maple Lake reunion. You know, I uh, went to Camp Maple Lake for like six years, and uh, um, uh, reunions are fun and they're nostalgic. And at my age, nostalgia is a good thing.
0: And but they say nostalgia is not as good as it used to be. <laughs> and yeah. Professor Alan Avi Dershard, thank you for joining. Thank you for all that you do. And really, we have to push ourselves to do more because we're losing political power and losing to anti-Semitism.
1: Right, and thank you for all you do. I think your broadcasts really empower people and encourage people to do the right things, so keep it up.
0: Thank you. And thank Thanks you- for listening. I'm sorry?
1: What a wonderful speaker uh, she is, and what a wonderful revenue she is, and she is really on the forefront of, I think, a whole new movement.
0: Now, thank you, Adina, that works very hard, and she's looking to be within the Orthodox realm and get the message out. And uh, She's doing it great. Thank you. Thanks for listening.
1: For continuous Jewish programs, TalklineNetwork dot com or our twenty four hour a day listen line at six four one seven four one zero three eight nine. For past shows, you can find us on iTunes, Spotify, Amazon, YouTube, Instagram, and all major podcast platforms or JewishPodcast dot org. Thanks for listening to the TalklineNetwork dot com.
0: Anyway, thank you. Great show. I appreciate it. Okay.
1: Follow us on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram. One of the most important Jewish institutions in the world today is TalkLine with Zeb Rana. He is so smart, and he is so innovative, and he has so many interesting guests. I don't know what Yiddishkeit, I don't know what New York, I don't know what the world would do without Zev. So Zev, Yashikoch, may you go from strength to strength and keep keep informing us and educating us and keep fighting for Jewish values. Thanks for listening. For continuous Jewish programs, talklinenetwork.com or our 24-hour-a-day listen line at 641-741-0389. For past shows, you can find us on iTunes, Spotify, Amazon, YouTube, Instagram, and all major podcast platforms or jewishpodcast.org. Thanks for listening to the thetalklinenetwork.com.
0: TalkLine Network Radio, America's longest-running Jewish broadcast network, the voice of the Jewish community.